I'm Emily. I'm Dennis. I'm Pete. I'm Corey. I'm Justin. And this, and this is, is Comics First. Welcome to another episode of the Comics First Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Comics First CEO, Justin Alba. Today we are talking about The Walking Dead. We are starting with issue 100 and finishing up at issue 152, as Dennis tells me that there is no 154 yet, but if there were, we would have read it. As we record this, Negan is 24 hours away, less than 24 hours away, from making his TV debut on AMC's The Walking Dead television show. No doubt after he makes his grand appearance, people are going to want to know a hell of a lot more, not only about Negan, but about what comes after. So, Hence the title of this podcast, The Walking Dead, Negan to Now. So before I introduce my panel of Walking Dead experts, I have to remind you to check us out on comicsfirst.com, where if you're a Walking Dead fan specifically, you'll find a hell of a lot of review and analysis of the comic and the television show. Additionally, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash comicsfirst and at comicsfirst on Twitter. So, speaking of all this content we have of The Walking Dead on comicsfirst.com, allow me to introduce my first panelist, Dennis Mui. Did I say your last name right? Is it Moy? Uh, Moy. Moy, welcome to your first podcast. Thanks. <laughs> you seem really <laughs> excited about it. Nervous? Cool. Yeah, don't be nervous. You're also holding the microphone about 45 feet from your mouth. <laughs> There you go, buddy. That's cool. Yeah. So you've written a lot about The Walking Dead on ComicsFirst.com. In fact, you've been writing a series on each of The Walking Dead villains. So how is that going? Uh, great. I love these villains. They're insane. They are insane. You know who else is insane? Who? Me. I was actually going to say one of you, but I thought it would be too mean at that point. But oh, give me, I know that by now. Give me like a few minutes. I have no one really to pick on on this podcast. Last time, who was here? Who for me to pick on? On AOA? No Chris, one was here. Chris. Oh, Christmas. Sorry, I got to pick yeah, on. Yeah, Chris. He got picked on a lot. Yeah. No, there's usually someone who I have to be mean to like the entire time. So whoever that is, it will unfold really soon. <laughs> anyway, so are you excited that like you're saying you're nervous to be on your podcast? Is there any excitement behind that nervousness or just sheer terror? <laughs> Oh yeah, lots of excitement, man. Like, okay, cool. You're just if I if you if anyone <laughs> can see Dennis right now, he's just exuding excitement. Um, like normal. Yeah, ex- <laughs> like normal. Yeah. Dennis has the emotional range of a chair and another chair. <laughs> That's the spectrum that he's in. I love chairs. <laughs> chairs are, are great things, and we need them to sit on. So another major fan of The Walking Dead here is Emily Coleman, who at this point is practically a podcast veteran. You can listen to Emily discuss Marjorie Lou's monstrous with an all-female cast just a few episodes back. How are you, Emily? Hi, I'm great. Are you great? Yeah, or I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> I lied. <laughs> You're like, actually, I'm about to kill myself. I'll let you guys know how it goes in 24 hours. You're like, by the time Negan premieres, I'll be gone. Just kidding. Oh um, I know. Hey, it's it's called real life. This is real. Hashtag real talk. Yeah. So uh, how did you enjoy the Monstrous podcast? The Monstrous was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun being just all girls because now I'm surrounded by all guys. Yay. Yay. Yeah. No, and being surrounded <laughs> by a bunch of guys at Comics First is... I was going to say that we have uh, a room full of comics first men has all the same vibe as the Duke lacrosse team. But, oh, yeah. no. Yeah, too soon, too I, soon. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's never okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's never okay, but it's always true. So <laughs> I don't even want to be like a regular lacrosse, lacrosse team, let alone that one. No, you're, you, guys are, you guys are like worse than that one. You guys are like, you guys are like, I'm so, yeah, I wish, it's like worse than Negan's army on Wednesdays. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. um, so anyway, Pete, it's so great that you're talking because I'm just about to introduce you. So this is the first time you and I have ever been on a podcast together, right? Yes, yes. It is. You did blankets. Um, no, I didn't do blankets. You I did cartoon um, history of the universe. Yeah, cartoon history of the universe, and then I was also on our uh, Tales of Mystery podcast. Tales of Mystery, our most listened to podcast ever, thirty thousand listeners. Yeah. 
So nice. you've been... Aw- Thanks to yours truly. I mean, oh, of course. <laughs> no, totally. People were like Googling Pete and Bessie. And, and luckily, thanks to my SEO skills, it was the first thing that came up. <laughs> Next thing you know... It People just, have been clamoring for It me. just blew the fuck up. Um, so you've been walking, you've been reading Walking Dead since the beginning or for how long? Uh, not since the beginning, but since right around the debut of the first season of the television show, actually. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I caught it, like, I caught the... F- first episode i think live on amc and it was like oh wow this is like a really like well-made show and right. i realized it was based off a comic um and that was actually my first introduction to image books oh cool oh wow yeah. cool wow. and and the image editor at comics first yeah. you are yeah so walking dead's an important book for me look how <laughs> look how full circle that comes yep i'm just pointing that out so finally after the longest recording in comics first history the longest podcast recording Corey spanner joins us in o- from ohio one week later fresh off an amazing comedy performance as i hear uh, yes, it was an amazing performance. Thank you. Yeah, tell us how it went last night. You were just telling us about it before, but let our listeners and your many fans hear. I'm sure uh, all three great. of them are dying I, to know. Just kidding. I got to be on a reunion episode for a sketch comedy show I used to be a part of on campus. So I got to go on and do a couple sketches with all the old cast members. And I got to play Batman in one sketch, which was a lot of fun. That sounds like an incredible amount of fun. I get to play yes. Batman in role playing, but it's just not on stage and no one else is there um, except <laughs> my doll Batman. named Lucille. Just kidding. See how I tied it into Walking Dead there. So um, are you? Uh, <laughs> it's also are, just a baseball bat. It's also just a what? No, <laughs> never mind. Sorry, Dennis, if you're not going to commit, then don't make the joke. <laughs> um, OK, look, it's unfolded that I'm going to be picking on you. I bail so much on my joke. Um, so yeah, excuse, I'm, not, excuse me, I'm not done in it with my Corey Spanner interview. Sorry. <laughs> Corey, how are you recuperating after last week's Age of Apocalypse podcast, which was not unlike the climbing of Mount Everest is to the podcasting? Uh, it took a couple days to get over it, but I think I'm back in top shape. Right. Do you feel like you're like Cyclops in X-Men when he was possessed by Apocalypse? Do you feel like that right now? Uh, yeah, that's pretty accurate description, I think. Cool. I hope Jean Grey finds you sooner than it took her to find him Find him in the comics. Because that... Oh, look, oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. Cyclops <laughs> is here. Oh, my God. Everybody, we have a special appearance from Cyclops here today. Cyclops, thank you so much for joining us. We have so many that's questions. Yeah, in case you guys don't know, Corey just put on some beautiful red sunglasses. I don't know what you're talking about. Cyclops just came on Skype. Excuse me. Yeah, Corey. <laughs> so, Cyclops, thank you for joining Scott. for this Walking Dead um, podcast. Hey, I don't know his. he's Scott. We don't know that. Oh, we don't? No, the, we don't know that. Because we're just the general public. We're just the general <laughs> public who knows that, but we don't know that. <laughs> Okay, fine, Pete, we know that. All right, cool. Cyclops is gone, and we're going to start with this podcast. So normally- Oh, hey, Corey, when'd you get here? Yeah. Oh, welcome. Yeah, sorry, that other guy just came in here. Welcome back, Corey. I hope you survived the blast. So <laughs> normally, we start out the first segment with a lengthy but important summary of the comic book. But honestly, if you don't know what Walking Dead is, you're- I was going to say that you're a moron, but that's probably really mean. It's You're not a moron, but you're, you might be living under a rock, in which case yeah. you don't have internet connection or Wi-Fi, in which case you're probably not going to be listening to this Or you're a um, hipster and podcast. you didn't listen to this anyway. <laughs> Please, don't be a hipster. No, you can be a hipster. <laughs> I think I was a hipster in my 20s before hipsters were even invented. I, I mean, like... I'm, I was like a music snob and I wore, yeah. like, I tried to look like I was poor when I wasn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, and you I, mean I was poor, it. but yeah. Cool, got it. And I thought I had, and I had an inflative sense of ego, and I thought I had the world figured out. You know, now that I'm in my 30s, I realize that I was right. Just kidding. So, <laughs> anyway, for those of you living under the rock, we want to reach you. And just in case you're getting Wi-Fi today from that passerby with his phone on Wi-Fi mode that projects Wi-Fi, we should tell you that Walking Dead takes place in a zombie apocalypse, and it's a metaphor for the lives we currently live in the real world, which we're going to discuss in a little bit. Uh, it was created by Robert Kirkman, and it's a zombie story about life after the fall of civilization from a zombie apocalypse. And 
I think it's one of the better zombie stories ever told, and we're going to talk about that in, in, in today. So if you don't want spoilers, I'd go ahead and read issues 100 through 152 before listening to this podcast, because this is going to be like spoiler central. Like if, if Spoiler City was a city, we would be it right now. Times Square. We, yeah, if ti- yeah, exactly. We should just change the name of Times Square to Spoiler City and then go there. Well, that would be Spoiler Center, right? Spo- yeah, Spoiler Center, yeah. Spoiler Square. This is Look, this location shit confuses me, I'm not going to lie. So, issue 100 sets off the events that occur from then until the current issues of the series when Negan appears. Uh, the first thing he does, again, spoiler alert, is bash Glenn's head in with his baseball bat with barbed wire around it that he calls Lucille, his little weapon. So, for those of you who have been reading Walking Dead since issue one, how did you respond? to Glenn's death. Can I say I took a picture of that and I texted to a bunch of people just so that they could see the brutality that I was <laughs> witnessing. And you, you, should, you should have sent it to people oh like who don't read the comic but who I did. watch Walking Dead. Who watched the show. And you just like totally fucking... Yeah. You're a I did. <laughs> oh my you're, God. Uh, Emily, your work worse than I Negan. I had to. <laughs> you're like alpha. I couldn't take it. I had to do it. Yeah. I had oh to. God. That's awful. <laughs> right, yeah. I never would have expected just, that from you. You That's spoiled a hundred issues of people. We were like... So many issues. Emily, my goodness. Um, <laughs> That's what happened. That was so shocking. I actually <laughs> forgot my question. So I guess, how'd you respond to Glenn's death? You thought it was gruesome and you responded by spoiling the show for dozens of people. Sharing my outburst. Cool. That, that Cool. Without any ramifications to <laughs> yeah. the anyone else's progression for the story. Awesome. Dennis, how about you? I was devastated. You were devastated. I was. Right. Why were you devastated, Dennis? Because he's like the only Asian male in any kind of media. <laughs> no, there's Zorn. <laughs> what? Oh, great. We have Zorn. Zorn in X-Men comics. He's totally Asian. Oh, then he was Magneto, but then he was Asian again. And there's Psylocke, who's like half Asian. <laughs> she's like Asian because of like weird comic book magic, though. Okay, she is, but she's still Asian. But, you know? but Glenn was like really Asian. Glenn was really Asian. So you're sad about it. Yeah, he's also, it's also a series where like people don't come back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yes, so I mean, like, he's the only Asian male. He's just gone. And just, there's another like, Asian oh, male after. Like, Cal, but oh no, in the yeah, series, Cal. yeah, Cal, but he also dies. All right, <laughs> then em, are you taking a page from the Emily playbook of fucking <laughs> ruining my life. Um, okay, Pete, what about you? How did you respond to Glenn's death? Really hard, actually. I mean, Glenn was always one of my favorite characters in the book, and um, not I'm not an Asian American man, but I was really related to Glenn because there's not a lot of young people in the book. Um, you know, Carl is, is true is a child um, for most of the book's run, and then everybody else is generally like you know probably in their 30s, 40s, like they're adults who are kind of established. And um, Glenn was the kind of character that I always uh, the most easily identified with, and also the fact that he was you know very moral center for the book, so he was always a character that I was really closely connected to. I um, mean, when he died, I actually <laughs> like put the the book down and like walked away before I finished it because I was like I gotta go like so process this huge impact on you. yeah it was really hard like I didn't I was I could feel it coming when it you know like the lead up to it where he's counting down who it's gonna be and then it was just like oh, okay I need to I need a minute for this to really sink in totally uh Corey how about you I was heartbroken I mean I think he was introduced like right after Rick before even like Carl and Lori back in like yeah. the first issues of the book he was OG Walking Dead and like Pete said he's the heart and soul of the book in a lot of ways because he's a good dude. He was always doing what was right and then boom, gets his head caved in. Did you guys think that that was a worthy event to have happen in the 100th issue of a comic? Yes. Yeah. 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 And it was a good death for the character. I mean, I mean, it was a hard death, but you know, I that's what Kirkman always says, right? Is if mm. the better the character, the more memorable the death needs to be. Right. I think that's easily probably the most, the one that stuck with me the most anyway. I would agree. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Was that the most memorable death I you guys in the, yeah? 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, Lori's death was pretty hardcore. Yeah. But yeah, the most well, memorable I, by I far. I think it was more Glenn. hardcore just because of the baby. Yes. It's a two for one. So yeah. it's yeah. Really fair. Yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert Emily hates Lori. So <laughs> she like threw a party when that issue came out. I, yeah. I hated her in the show. I didn't mind her in the Yeah, place. I like it in the show either. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. either way, she's a slut who. F- best friends no just kidding um, we all would have done it um <laughs> look i i, I would have had like a train on myself after the zombie apocalypse so i'm not going to judge Lori for <laughs> getting love where she can so um since glenn is such an important character it would make sense that his death served a larger purpose in the story did you think this was accomplished successfully by the creative team behind walking dead who would like to go first Corey? i think it really raised the stakes as far as negan went like we already knew it was a pretty crazy dude but this just raised the emotional stakes for like the next dozen or so issues or however many after it was i'm gonna agree with you yeah i actually i think it was really important too because of the arc that it sets up for rick to a lesser extent but in a much larger sense maggie Um, because like directly following glenn's death you know we see maggie mourn his loss and then become the leader of the hilltop shortly thereafter and then now in the time skip you know she's one of the leaders of the new world and uh arguably i mean not to say that that she wouldn't have been if glenn had survived but i think having his loss was kind of what projected her into that leadership role because she needed something to rededicate herself to after losing her family um, or at least you know part of her family in that way and for Rick I think it was the first time in a long time that we saw Rick really lose a like a close friend and react to it because uh, definitely a theme in the book I think after the prison is that like you you get kind of kind of numb to that loss after a while because you see so many friends or loved ones die but you could see even in the art but even just how he carries himself and how he talks about it that losing Glenn was a real failure for Rick yeah, it was. I was surprised it was Rick, though, actually. How do you mean? Or, I'm, I'm sorry, Glenn. Mm, mm. Just the the artwork of how it was all set up and he's going, catch a tiger by the toe and going yeah. back and forth. I was oh. like, oh my God, that was it awesome. can't happen because right. it can't be any of these people. He can't kill one of these people. Yeah, the, This is the core right here. You can't take out anyone. And, and yeah, somebody did. had to go. And then he did. And I think that's one yeah. of the things that makes Walking Dead so good is because he just throws away the rule book. And yeah. does exactly yeah. what you know yeah. what you don't expect to do, and when people say D- never do this in the story, never get rid of characters that people love, and he got rid of you know prob- uh, you know arguably the most popular character to come out of Walking Dead after Rick and Michonne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And please, he hasn't pulled any punches before that either. I mean, we, <laughs> no, we've lost not. so many characters that were really beloved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dale, Tyrese. You know, we've had so many yeah. characters oh, that, yeah, were, that were really, really loved that we just lose. And that's um, comic Abraham. book Carol. Yeah, Abraham. 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 Yeah. 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 Oh, I was really hoping he'd stick around because I liked him so much. I, I wanted to see what he would do more. Oh, yeah. No, I just wanted to see his beard more, but I also wanted to see his character. Dude, I really that hope too. they don't kill him in the show, too, because I just love Michael Cudlitz. Like, he has the, the, just the greatest one-liners. That's his name. He's named after Chicken Cutlets? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Cuddly Cutlets. That's what I thought. Um, <laughs> so, I think, arguably, again, when people think of The Walking Dead up until this point with Negan both in the comic and the show, probably the governor sticks out as Rick's arch enemy. Mm -hmm. What are some differences that we see between the governor and Negan? I would say the biggest difference between them, and I was actually thinking about this a little bit more, rereading this arc before this podcast. In a few ways, they show us that, I mean, the governor is crazy. You know, when we meet the governor, the governor is lost, you know, and even if he was maybe a decent person at some point, that person is long gone and is there is no decency left in him. Whereas I think Kirkman... You know, obviously our first impression of Negan is he murders one of our favorite characters, which is something that we, you would think would make him totally, we would never like him again, be totally unforgivable. Um, but we see these moments where he is merciful, like he doesn't hurt Carl when he follows them, him there and kills some of his men. He kills, slits that guy's throat who tries to rape 
I can't remember her name. Holly, then, you know, he, he makes a big deal about how, like, we're not monsters, we don't rape. You know, we might kill, but we don't rape. So I think, like, we get an effort to kind of humanize Negan in a lot of ways that's not done for the governor. And I think the fact that his life is spared even now, we're seeing a dynamicism to the character that was never really present in the governor. He was always just a foil for Rick, whereas Negan challenges him in a much different way, I think. Yeah, you brought up a really good point about Negan and rape, and we're going to talk about this later, if what happened between him and his wives were, was still rape, because... Right, that's true. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Corey, I know you wanted to respond as well. Yeah, I think rereading it too, that Negan seems to be a lot smarter than the governor in a lot of ways, whereas the governor was almost just batshit crazy. Like he did things almost like without even thinking about them just because he was angry most of the time and wanted power. But a lot of things Negan does, he thinks them through like, you know, not hurting Carl or things like that. Like he has a purpose almost behind everything that he does. And I think that makes him scarier in a different way. I think he's meticulous Mm. with his planning. He does definitely think it through and he's seen the bigger picture. Not, I don't think the bigger picture of what Rick is looking at, obviously they're looking at different pictures, but a bigger picture in some sort of sense, in his own warped. Versus the governor who just wants to see the world burn, as we say. Yeah. Cool. Dennis? Yeah, I mean, the governor wants to just kill everyone who's not a part of Woodbury, even Woodbury people. They get in his way. Yeah, I mean, Negan wants his society the way he does it he wants to scavenge and he wants to hold his own stockpile because he doesn't really think about like farming and stuff he just wants his he just wants to survive his way is negan a likable villain because the first time i read it i was like what a horrible person and this time there were a couple times i laughed and i was like does that mean i'm a terrible person so question is am i a terrible person pete go no i i totally commiserate with that opinion 100 percent. i think that that is why negan is such a compelling villain is because he is fucking likable he's charming he's funny you know and And he has a code of conduct right yeah he does he has a code of conduct and that's the thing is that you know you almost have to respect him in a way because like even the point he makes of like he kills Glenn, he doesn't feel good about it. He's like, I didn't take any pleasure in doing this, but you killed my men and I need to show strength. You know, I can't be, you know, like the same thing when Rick shows up to get Carl and attacks him and he's like, do you really think I'm going to let you just beat me up in front of my men? Like, are you that f- stupid? It's literally what he says. And I think it's it's the thing is you can understand him. You know, it's like you might not like respect him, but or in terms of like, I guess the things that he does, but his motivations for doing them are always they always make sense. Right. Corey, what do you think? Are Pete and I both horrible people? <laughs> no, I love I love reading Negan, even rereading it more and even where the book is now and where Negan is now. It's just so much fun to read. I was trying to compare it to like another villain that's entertaining to watch, but Negan's just hilarious he's unlike any other villain we've read really i have to say i I thought that there were some comparisons to deadpool did no one else think that just in the way that he like would not shut the up and it was kind of funny and Mm, yeah mm. anyway i can see that just a loose connection that i thought Uh, i kind of like he reminds me of almost like like a bugs bunny kind of character actually (laughs) like he's just a smart aleck you know like and it's like he's not a bad guy but he's definitely kind of an ass i would read i would read a comic i would read walking dead if if in fear the walking dead the show bugs bunny showed up and just started blowing everyone's (laughs) brains out it would instantly become my favorite show over six feet under um emily dennis are we all the three of the rest of us bad people no because i love him so much all right, Emily, you've gone too far. <laughs> I don't love him. I, I, yeah, I don't yeah. love him that much. Yeah, I don't want to uh... sleep with him. I'm not going to like you know have anal sex with Lucille tonight. And by the way, I wouldn't be the receiver. But Dennis, uh, what about you? Are, are the are is, well, we know Emily's a horrible person, but are the rest of us? <laughs> no, you're, I'm on board with you guys. I think I love him. He's smart. Like 
the smartest villain he uh, Rick's come up against, and he actually like I feel like he outsmarts him uh, way too much. Yeah, awesome. So for everyone listening to this podcast, there are, are five of us on it, and we are all of the most horrible people I've ever met. So enjoy, and definitely follow us on comicsverse.com if you're into that. So Rick's plan to defeat Negan begins in his head almost immediately after their first encounter. He doesn't tell anyone about it, and it unfolds slowly and quietly over the course of many, many issues. We know that his plan was successful, but did anyone else see flaws in Rick's plan, or was it the smartest way to go? And if it was, what made it that way? I think his initial plan was um, brash. You know, I think that like... He had balls. Yeah, and I understand why he had balls, because given all the stuff that they had encountered at this point, and then coming across the hilltop and Alexandria and seeing that the people that are left are either people like them or people who are weak, and they're like, okay, well, we can... we've. We took out the governor. We can go take on this Negan guy, whatever. Sure, I get that. I I understand that bravado, but that was just foolish. You know, like that was the 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 first time or it's the first time in the book since Rick decided to not let the prison go where I was just like this is just a stupid move that you're making because you're too proud and normally he's not like that you know rick grimes is definitely a good leader i would say and somebody that i think you can have confidence following that he'll make this the decision that's the best for um for his group and not like um like to dennis's point about the governor not one that's made out of like pride or rage or anything like that but yeah that just seemed like bold man really Mm -hmm. bold and you paid for it Uh, Dennis? Yeah, I think, exactly. I think he was, like, way too cocky that he didn't even gather enough information on yeah. Negan. He was like, oh, he probably doesn't have that many men. He has hundreds of guys with, uh, he has hundreds of guys and, like, outposts. And he also figures that since he, they, Negan and his, and his saviors didn't use guns, they don't have it. But they only use it when they need it. And guns aren't the only way to kill someone. Yeah. You know, like, that's, if you have the numbers, like, that's the thing. The Alexandrians, like, there's only, like, there's only, like, 50 people in that settlement. There's only, like, 100 people or so at the hilltop, you know? Like, there's only so many of you, and there's a lot more of them. And, yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. It's ridiculous. Corey. Yeah, I agree with you guys. But the parts where we see Rick struggle to make these decisions, and, and like, we're reading it, and we're like, no, Rick, maybe you should do this. This is, like, some of the most fun parts to the book because i love rick so much and watching him struggle to be such a good leader in such a shitty time is so fun agreed emily (laughs) i don't really have anything extra to add okay so if rick did what he said he was going to do if there was no master plan if he was just going to submit to negan is that wrong yes why because you i mean (laughs) i guess this is actually flies a bit in the face of our previous point about negan being um like, I guess, reasonable, at least on in some way. But I don't think that um, whatever deal you'd make with Negan would only go for so long, you know, before it would be, oh, well, now we want 75% because I can, you know, and I can take it, so I'm going to. And you're not going to do all about it. And he's that kind of guy. And uh, you don't want that kind of guy in control of your livelihood. You know? And that's not worth it to have a semblance of civilization. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not, it's not real safety. It's not real security. And if you have to compromise... I guess Liber- liberty for security. Yeah, yeah. If you have to compromise liberty for security, it's not worth it. Oh, I wonder where that could be a parallel for <clears throat> USA. Anybody else have anything <laughs> to USA, add? USA, USA. Dennis. Well, I mean, like I could. I think my, there's a possibility of it working out if he submitted. I mean, if he, I don't think he would. I don't think he would have upped it to like 75 percent of their stuff because that would be a dumb move. Because then they're screwed and they can't get more for Negan. But if they can't fight back, then it's like, does he really care? Because he, you know, like that was the thing. He was taking 50% of the hilltop supplies and they didn't have enough to survive either. That was why they needed to get Rick and company to go and kill him. I, I see what you're saying, Dennis. Like he needs yeah. to, there needs to be like X amount of stuff so that they can make, yeah. they can mm-hmm. get more stuff and make more stuff. Yeah. That's, yeah. Interesting point that you guys both have. Anybody else have anything to add? Cool. 
we talked about Negan's differences from the governor, but looking at who Negan is on his own, is he that different from Rick and that all he wants to do is restore order to the chaos of the world and the walking dead? I actually wanted to say this before to a point that Emily made where I actually don't know if they're that different Um, because I think the thing that you said that they have different visions, I think their vision is the same. I just think how they plan to get there is different. Right, yeah. Um, I think Rick believes in you know, and having, I guess, a republic, you could say, where it's, you know, they have a, a governing body that serves the people and the people all have a say, but there are a few people who are in charge. Whereas Negan was very much, uh, was a dictator. You know, he believed in control. And um, I can see the validity in either of those theories, honestly, in this world where, especially for Negan's group, control probably makes more sense there. If it's a bunch of wild people who are volatile and powerful, it might make sense to have a leader that they fear as much as they respect. Whereas Rick tries to deal with people who are reasonable and skilled. So I think it makes a little more sense to be diplomatic and to try to work towards a common goal in that way, maybe. Yeah, I have to say, I saw some kind of Saddam Hussein type references in my head only actually when I was reading it because, you know, you've got, I mean, look at what happened there. I mean, we took away, quote unquote, an evil dictator. There was sort of chaos after. And then now people are arguing that we should have left Saddam Hussein in power. Yes, he was a cruel and evil dictator, but he kept people in line. Does anybody else have anything to add to that or my previous question? I'll say, I don't see... I don't see them being very similar, honestly. Everybody, in my opinion, in this world wants the world to go back the way it was, and Negan's just a crazy person. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, they're both smart, and they both control their people. Yeah. I thought, if anything, Rick had more in, in uh, common with the governor than Negan. Oh, okay. In the ways of just just protecting their people. And yeah, the governor was kind of like a little kid sometimes, like, like when I want what you have. but He was also sleeping with his zombie daughter, yes. Well, that's true. Yeah. But, you know, let's let bygones be bygones. <laughs> I mean, that happened a long time ago. So I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who was like a medievalist and it was seriously annoying because they were like, wow, like, why are we happier now? And I'm like, I don't know about you, but Nintendo pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah. Didn't have that in the, you know, 1150s. Also like indoor plumbing. Indoor plumbing. Yeah. yeah you yeah, don't want. A big one. Trust me, if I should outside, you guys, there would be like a three mile radius with no one around. So anyway, so medievalists sometimes argue that there is little difference in society in the Middle Ages and today's world. Hey, valid point they studied it i get it so they argue that we aren't necessarily happier now but instead have learned to put the world together in this way where we deem certain things moral and amoral based on sort of just how the world has come together so do you think a philosophical argument exists that both negan and rick are in the right and this is kind of we kind of already answered this but we can go into a little bit more here and if the world is as chaotic as we've seen in the series pete you were bringing up how negan's people are kind of you know crazy and Volatile. Volatile is the word. I shouldn't say crazy. Excuse me. Misspoke there with the word crazy. Isn't violence par for the course in terms of getting people who have been, you know, forever altered and and, and volatile in a zombie apocalypse in line? I think that there... There's an argument that can be made there for sure. I think like to that that one question, there's a, a philosophical argument you can make for anything, right? But in this case, I think context is important. The context of when in this world you are. And I think when, you know, earlier in the book, like, you know, maybe leading up until the prison during that era when it is very much a, a fight to survive and kill or be killed kind of world, there are certain things that you can justify. Um, you can justify killing to protect your own. You can justify stealing to feed your child, maybe. You know, there, there are these scenarios that come up. But when you get to a place that we see the book now where there is a semblance of civilization, I don't, I think that morality does change. And things that were justifiable don't, justifiable don't become so justifiable, which is why Rick doesn't kill Negan. It's to lead an example that that way of life is over for us now. Like we have taken back civilization. We can be better than that. And um, I think that is really, in my mind anyway, where the morality of civilization really comes into play. It's the choice that we are better than animals because we don't need to fight to survive anymore. 
Dennis? Pete nailed it. Well, I guess like with the violence, like the way Negan does it and getting people online, I keep thinking about like the other villains and how if, say, the hunters were part of Negan's saviors, they wouldn't be cannibals because they'd be fed by working. And like all these different villains may not be as bad as they are if they were part of Negan's saviors. What if they like the taste of human flesh? I, don't know, I hear chicken. I don't know. I know. That's what, that's what Hannibal says. <laughs> Hannibal. I mean, not, not, not like the OG Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter. For those of you who are thinking about the the um, Carthaginian general, no, the Carthaginian general. Oh, you meant like this. I was thinking of the com- <laughs> I, was I was like- thinking of the comedian Hannibal Burris. Oh. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, he totally a cannibal. You guys are so like the last two thousand years. I'm talking about <laughs> shit that happened three thousand years ago. You're so twenty um, first. Just kidding. Century. It was two thousand five hundred years ago or something. But I don't know. I didn't major in math. So. Can it be said that Negan is more moral than Rick? And since I'm the one who came up with this question, I did think it was interesting that Negan is straightforward. He has these rules. And you have Rick, you know, kind of making up this plan, doing things behind the scenes. Obviously, the ends justify the means. We're all going to agree that that Rick's world is better. And that's kind of the whole point of The Walking Dead. But, you know, you were kind of right when you said, Pete, you can make a philosophical argument about anything. But do you think that there's a valid philosophical argument in saying that Negan is more moral than Rick? I don't. I think. Because I think the difference between them, right, is like even if you acknowledge the fact that like, yeah, Rick is sneaky sometimes, but that's because Rick is a pragmatist and he's uh, he's a man who takes opportunities that are presented to him. He's not um, I wouldn't say in terms of like a victory, he's not a man who cares about pride in a victory. You know, like he's willing to bite your throat out if it means killing you and saving his son's life. Like it doesn't (laughs) matter if that's uh, not the most honorable way to kill someone. It's, you know, the job needs to get done. He's going to get it done. And I think why, regardless of any case you can make for Negan being honest or whatever, having his his morality that you can, um, or at least his set of morals that you can respect because he's a straight shooter. I think the fact that Negan is a person who uses power to oppress people makes him less moral than Rick because Rick uses his power to lift people up and to make them safe. And that will always make him the better character, even if he has to resort to less than savory means to achieve good. Even going along with that point a little bit, when Rick did go after Carl and he Car, or Car, um, Rick is beating Negan and Negan says, no, you can't in front of my men. You can't yep. do this. That's because he has to have that power status. Right. Whereas Rick has been beaten up by his own people several times. Yeah. And he doesn't feel the need to reestablish no, dominance. No, he takes it. Yeah. And exactly. then after that, <laughs> then we all calm down, our anger set aside, and now we talk. Yeah. Actually, to the point we were talking about earlier, after uh, Glenn's death, Maggie beats the shit out of mm-hmm. him, and then he's like, why'd you stop? And he, Yeah, he says, yeah. why'd you stop? Oh, that was sad, because you feel so guilty. Yeah. I know. Oh, yeah. But it's not your fault, Rick. It's not your fault. No. It's like the end of Goodwill Hunting, when you take someone who's completely fucked <laughs> up for 25 years of their life, tell them it's not their fault, and they're just magically healed. Therapy worked mm-hmm. exactly the same way for me. I don't know about for you guys, but I just thought that was so realistic. So, Emily, you brought up the, the whole kind of deal with Negan letting Carl go and letting him go back with Rick. I would say when I first read that, I was like, what's Negan's play here? What's mm-hmm. what's going on? Oh, yeah, definitely. But then when I read it a second time and a third time, I was like, there is no play. He's just he's just doing what he thinks is the right thing. And it's a child. Yeah. So why why do anything to a child, I suppose? Right. I think to his point, he's not a monster. Right. He's not a monster. And I think that is what makes him so compelling is that, yeah, he's He's a, he might be a bad guy. Well, he thinks he's not a monster. Let's say that. Because I'm I sure Maggie would think he's a monster. Sure. But I even think like, yeah, 
personally, like as a person, I feel he's a monster because he did that to a character that I have affection for, but I understand his reasoning. It wasn't a random act of violence that he took pleasure in. And it's the same thing where I don't think, even though Carl did kill a bunch of his men, it's like, I'm not going to, this kid's 13. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to kill a 13 year old because I'm not a, you know, I might be a killer, but I'm not a monster. Yep. And right. I, I think that's his mentality. And that's where he can justify every shitty thing he does is that, well, I, I have my own sense of, I have my code, mm -hmm. as you put it. The code, yeah. Anybody else have anything to add about that? So at the end of the All Out War storyline, it seems as if Rick is actually getting through to Negan and that he's starting to change his mind. Then, you know, Rick suddenly, he cuts him. headbutts him. Yeah, or, yeah, I thought he cuts him with a knife, no? He cuts oh, his, he slices like... him at the end, yeah. Yeah. He goes, he's like, oh, he's yeah, like yeah. good, he's and he slices him. Right, slices yeah. him, yeah. He just goes for the, the slice. Right in the throat. Oh, the, yeah, he just goes for the, the I almost said go, went for the slit, but that just felt inappropriate. <laughs> um, so... Was Negan fucking Rick or was Negan really having an aha moment? I couldn't tell. I couldn't decide. And I was very surprised when Rick did that because I thought someone's going to make a move here. Who's it going to be? But I just never saw that coming. Not that. Dennis? Oh, yeah. I, th I thought he was agreeing. Like, I think he would have made fun of him in a different way with more, you know, vulgarity and like, like you're a dumb fuck or something. So you didn't believe it. Pete? To Emily's point, I actually, I thought he was, I thought it was real. You know, I thought it was a genuine moment of him being like, yeah, this is, that could be a more effective way to do this because obviously you're not going to lick boot. So if I, if we can meet each other halfway, this stops and I can go back and lead my kingdom and nothing has to really change. And that is palatable for me. And I think the fact to your point that the fact that he didn't make the first move to me says that he was considering it at the very least and the fact that rick had the opportunity to be the one to go for the kill mm -hmm. means that yeah negan other if he if he hadn't been thinking about it i think he would have taken him while he had him because he had what like just just before that had or am i thinking of a different part where he breaks his leg right or is that no, it's he slices him. okay because i'm thinking i forget when he breaks rick's leg or something he, no, he like, breaks it like um nick it, tries it like uh after he slices him throughout like um everyone Starts fighting and then they Negan fight. rushes him. Yeah. yeah. Don't and, they? Yeah. yeah. And I, that's when it I remember there's at least one scene where Negan literally grabs Lick by the Rick by the leg and just and breaks yeah. his mm -hmm. and that's why he's like crippled. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, why he has yeah, like, they're like, on the, the ground pain. after he, his throat's cut and Rick goes to kick him and he grabs yes. his foot yeah. out of the Yeah, okay. Yep. You're Thank just you. having a little bit of visual dyslexia that yeah. happens. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many fights between them. There are, yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, panels right to left, left to right. Are we in America? Are we in Japan? Who the knows? Up and down, left and right down and up. I don't know what's going on. Corey, what did you think? I still can't tell. I struggle with it too. Because at the same time, I mean, he could have been going, oh yeah, Rick, I totally agree with you. Just kidding, motherfucker. And like attacked him because that's like something Negan would totally do. Right. And the thing I is, mean, is, oh, sorry, go. I was just going to say that even if he did, in, the, in my opinion, if he switched sides that, that easily in the middle of war, just from Rick talking to him, like, come on, Kirkman, you could have done better than that. Which is why I'm glad it didn't happen that way. Yeah, I'd that's say, a good point. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was confused too. I mean, I, I thought that the art depicted Negan in this new way in which he actually looked less evil and like, you know, sort of that something that he had had this revelation. And it definitely could have gone either way, you know, depending on what would have happened if Rick didn't, you know, slice him. But I, I you know, the humanist in me wants to believe Negan would have, you know, had an aha moment and wanted to change Pete. It's just the thing you said about the art actually was something that really uh, was a flag for me because I remember you were talking about during rereading that you felt that you liked Negan more. Yes. And that you felt that there was moments. It was were, funnier. Yeah. And I think I said this earlier where I think that there was a definitely kind of a deliberate effort on Kirkman's part to humanize him in a lot of ways. And I thought that was really 
very apparent in the art. Like when there's all these moments of like seeing Negan laughing and like goofing around and telling jokes and stuff. Like I remember there's one issue that opens where it's like he's like let the slaughter begin and then they're playing ping pong you know yeah. and it's like moments yeah. like that where it's like you would not see the governor in that light you know you wouldn't see the governor or like I think another one was um when he has Carl and they're talking about it and he wants to see Carl's eye and he says something where he's like oh man like that's fucking gruesome kid and then Carl starts crying and he feels bad about it he does yeah you know yeah. he's like oh shit yeah. like I'm sorry kid I didn't mean to make you cry and it's like that's the sensitivity that you don't see in, in any of the other villains we've encountered it's true, and I have to say, when I first read it, I couldn't tell if he was even being a dick about even being sorry, but now I think he was genuinely sorry. Yeah, I really yeah. do. I yeah. do. I think it's it's, he's, it's a lot different. And Pete, you brought up this point earlier. So, you know, one of the most disturbing facts about, you know, living under Negan's control for women was possibly having to be in his harem of wives. Can you say harem of wives? Because isn't a harem by definition not wives? Anyway, his school... No, I can't want to say it, school No, I wives. think you're right. I think okay. it is harem. His, his collection right. of, of weaves. So... <laughs> Anyway, he says that being married to them is their choice. He even tells one of them, the one with the short hair, who had sex with her ex-husband or, or current husband or whatever you want to call him, um, who is not Negan, that you know she has the opportunity to leave. They'll, she'll go back to the barter system. She won't have access to all this great stuff. But under the circumstances, do these women really have a choice? If it's the choice between you know working for points or you know living a living not mal you know not a non malnourished existence, living in some big house versus you know outside in some barn or whatever the hell the other people were living in uh is that really a choice and is there really a difference between what he's doing to them psychologically and slavery and is what he's doing rape isn't isn't it rape so this is super super complex mm -hmm. so i do want to unpack this a little bit let's unpack because i think i think there's a line where it becomes that but i don't think it necessarily starts that way because to your point or I guess to Negan's point, it is a choice and the alternative isn't a pleasant alternative, but everybody else who lives in the Savior's community does that. But isn't it the illusion of choice? No, because he asks. It's okay. not like he's like, you're now my wife or you're fucking out of here. You know, it's like you, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm attracted to you. You have the offer to come live in this lavish palace with me and basically be my sex slave. But again, I'm offering this to you. They could say no and just keep working and be, you know, malnourished. But everyone's malnourished. Everyone's working. That's what everyone does. So, yeah, I mean, is it unsavory? Certainly. Certainly. Does it make me uncomfortable? Absolutely. Does it seem that once they've made that choice, it's not so easy to unmake that choice? Yes. But to again, to the point that you made, the woman that is that gets lectured about it breaks the one rule. You know, there's three rules or whatever, and she breaks one of them. She goes and has sex with her ex. I mean, that is breaking the pact that they made. So, do I think it's right? F no, but I don't know if it's. I think fair it's a gray area. Yeah, of if it's if it's rape, we're saying rape in the, the psychological sense, not the right. the legal sense. And I'm, I'm sure it would make them feel horrible. Right. But at the same breath, like you did, you did say that this was okay. Right. You you agreed to this for comfort. And I don't think that that is a trade that I would certainly make. But if you agreed to that, you agreed to that. And so, you knew what the consequences were if yeah. you did break a rule. Right. I mean, we'd, we'd seen it already with Dwight. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So like once we figured out what that what that scar on his face was, it was like this has happened before. You knew what would happen when you were caught, obviously. Like, you you're going to get Negan. caught. And you know, you know who you're dealing with. So I, I can't say that I feel that they're victims, you know? I feel sorry for everyone in this world, though. So, yeah, I feel sorry for the situation they're in. But but you don't think it constitutes that? I and, don't know. And, and yeah. you agree, Emily, right? Yeah, a little bit. Gray, but... Gray, gray, but 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 to the to the white side of gray. Yeah. Dennis, mm -hmm. do you have an opinion? No, I, I agree. Uh, you agree with... Uh, you, huh? You agree it's with, not like... It's gray, it's but... Not it's not crossing the line. It's not crossing the line yet. Uh, Corey. 
It is so gray. <laughs> with it now. I um, guess one thing. I mean, Pete's got a lot of good points that they had a choice. I mean, it's shitty. Like they got the shortest possible end of that stick out of everybody that lives under Negan's control. And it's not like he's holding them at gunpoint or beating the shit out of them. He's saying, if you do this, I'll give you this. I would say I disagree with everybody here. I stand as a lone wolf. And I, I do think it's right because I, I, I think everything you said is factually true, Pete, and, and everything you said is factually true, Emily and Corey and Dennis. But I also think that if the choice is between living a quote-unquote shitty life and then living a slightly less shitty life in this palace, and she was trying to do good for her husband, too. That's why she had agreed to join Negan. Although there is an actual choice, there is really no choice because what are you supposed to do in this world? You're just trying to survive. And if the best way to ensure your survival is to become one of Negan's sex slave wives, I don't know. I just feel like it kind of is that there's almost no choice in that. You know, the, the alternative is to live like everybody else. I don't know. I'm not making my point very well, but I feel it in my heart. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't, I, it's, it's the kind of thing where, like, I agree with you on a moral level. Because he's digging them over. He, he's, it's like, because yeah. he, he's. He's taking advantage of them for sure. Definitely. Yes. For sure. But, but yeah, and I think that, like, that, and I think that, and they don't, and they don't appear to want to have sex with him either. No, and, and I don't, and that's the thing is, like, I think that's where I do say it does feel gray because. Right. I guess it's like, yeah, he, they're definitely being taken advantage of because of the reality of their situation, but at the same time, like, I feel like you can't say that there is no choice because it would be different if it was you, I want you to do this, do it or get out. Or if they were like attacking the hilltop and kidnapping people and then bringing them back and making them his wives or something right. like that. And it's not that. It's right. not quite that. It's not quite it's that. Leveraging, it's leveraging power that right. he has in a way that is not okay. Right. For sure. Mm -hmm. But it's not... And I think if we're going to dissect like what it is that's that I think what you just said, I consider rape and then you don't. And that's and you all of you guys don't. And I, I think that say, that's totally OK. I wouldn't even say it's n maybe not rape, but it's like manipulation of. Some yeah, sort. it's manipulation. Right. It's just like it's on the spectrum it's, it's of rape. Co for it's sure. coercion for yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yes. OK, cool. I mean, that's look, this is, you know, a, a hot button issue. We could have a whole podcast discussing, you know, just this. And, and we and, can all agree it's yeah, bad. Yeah. So yeah, like, we're not we're not up for it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody thinks it's OK. <laughs> That's, yeah, Dennis is saying that's not how he spent Friday as Negan's sex slave, which is good. I'm glad. Um, yeah, he gave me choices. Right, yeah, he gave you options. I just wanted a ration, yeah. god damn it. You just need some options. Um, need some medicine. So, do you guys agree with Rick's... <laughs> oh my gosh. That's really gross. I didn't actually hear it, but it feels gross. What did you say? He has no, gout. I said for gout. Oh. I need medicine for gout. I don't care. Dennis actually has gout in real life right now. Oh, and he said, yeah, thanks, <laughs> everyone. You have gout? He said, all I need is medicine for gout. Oh, shit. Oh, I get it now. Yeah, it was, okay. it was really okay. funny. You know what it was? It just wasn't funny to me. No, I'm just kidding. That's it was. fine. I'm just kidding. Dennis, you're such a comedian. You should take over Corey's job. Just kidding. Here you Dennis are funny, is though. Batman. Dennis <laughs> is Batman. Oh, my God. That'd be crazy. But Corey gets to be Batman and Cyclops. So I think that's a pretty good. that's a pretty good, right? So do you guys agree with Rick's decision not to kill Negan? And is it fair to the people who lost loved ones due to him? And why or why not? Because if I was Maggie, hey, I'd, I'd want him dead too. So I, I don't blame her for feeling that way. Corey. The thing with Rick for me is that he's always trying to set himself above the people that he's fighting against, trying to make himself better than them. And he just doesn't want to stoop down to Negan's level here because Negan probably would have killed him. And also, it's just so entertaining having Negan in the book still. I concur with this, and we'll get to that point in a little bit. What do you guys think? Would you have killed him, Pete? Would I have killed him? See, that's an interesting question. Do I agree with Rick's decision to keep him alive? Yes. Would I have done the same thing? I don't know. Um, because I think that 
I think Rick's decision to keep him alive, it makes sense. Because like, uh, to Corey's point, like he's trying to set an example. You know, he's trying to show that that way of life is over. We don't kill if we don't have to anymore. Killing is no longer a necessity. So we, we won't do it thoughtlessly. And that, you know, maybe the idea that Negan serving out the rest of his years in a jail cell is a better punishment, I think, could sit right with me, right? But in terms of keeping him alive, I mean, look what happened in the book just, what, last issue, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Negan gets out. He's Spoiler out. Spoiler alert number 57. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and that was... He had people warning him that. You know, Maggie said, I think, two, three issues ago, it's not too late to kill him, you know? Right. You know, and I, it's hard to argue with that. It really is. You know, I, I think... That, yeah, it's a great it's a great moral victory, but what happens now? What happens now that Negan's free? Good point. Dennis, you cold-hearted motherfucker. What do you think? Oh. Yeah, I, I would have killed him. Like I understand, I understand, Ice that I, I, understand that one, his, right? yeah. I understand his compassion, but I mean, as you see with like his people now, when there's a threat, like he, they think he's soft. Like if he, um, by not killing Negan, he's like, oh, he's gonna keep everyone alive. Like, like now they think they're not gonna go after the whispers because then they almost they revolt. Some of the people attack him. I mean, that's the result of that. That's a good point. Good point, uh, Emily. The end of this last issue when we find that Negan is gone uh, was my worst nightmare. It was. Because I knew, I knew it. It was going to happen. It was bound to happen. It had to. When he said, no, this is, we're standing for civilization and we're not going to kill this man and he'll, when he said he's going to live out his days in jail, no. Ah. Was anyone else surprised that he left? I almost expected to see the guy who snuck down there dead and him just <laughs> sitting in there like, you know. But he's also a kid. In the jail cell <laughs> yeah. with him. Yeah, or maybe that, yeah. Because right. like he had that opportunity to get away a couple Once issues ago before. when I forget her name. She's Olivia? dead now. Olivia, yes, thank mm-hmm. you. Olivia left the gate open or the cell open. Yeah, um, not wise. Corey, what did you, what did you, what did you think? I think, I, I want to wait and see because yeah, he had the opportunity to escape before and he didn't. I, that's a good point bringing up that a couple issues ago, he had the opportunity to escape, but he didn't. So I want to see where this goes. I'm not saying him breaking out of jail is going to be a, like a terrible, god-awful thing. He could still do something somewhat redeemable if he has the option to. Kind of wondering if he will, because when he didn't leave the first time, he was showing Rick, you can trust me. Let's yeah. build a trusting relationship. And That's exactly what he says to him. And well, then- wasn't that some psychological mindfuck? But, no, but it could have been. I, I really agree not. with you, Emily, because yeah, I, I really think that, like, because then Rick comes to him for advice. He does, And Negan actually. is happy to give it to him. Yeah. He's happy to oblige. It's like he wants to build Rick up into the leader that he couldn't yeah. be, almost. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I really do agree with you. And I really, I'm almost wondering if we're going to see a situation where, like, Negan saves Carl's life or Rick's life or he does something, something. really big and shows, like, because I think there was even the the conversation recently, or I'm, maybe I'm getting mixed up with the show even, but just it's that it's that idea that has been talked about in the show that like where there's life, there's potential, right? And like Negan is obviously could be an asset if he decides to not fuck <laughs> things up. Mm-hmm. He could mm-hmm. really be valuable yeah, to Rick great, in a lot of ways. He's a great advisor. Yeah, at, at the very because he is smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and he was a good leader. You know, and like whether or not his methods were good, he led mm-hmm. a lot of volatile people for several years who did not like him, and he makes that point. And it, he could ab- opt absolutely be useful to Rick in some way if if there is that trust between them. And it's kind of true that in the world of The Walking Dead, it's hard to go so far that you can't be redeemed. And I think that right. although Negan has done unspeakably evil things, you know, there's we still we saw a little bit of that before Rick slashed him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think I see like I think like Negan sees like those like his community working like without having this his kind of fear and stuff. I think yeah, he think he, so. he I think he realizes that he his way wasn't necessarily the right way or that maybe Rick's way is better. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
I always thought one of the best tools a creative team has in their arsenal is the power to do a time skip. So it has the ability to reset a story, to move the characters into an entirely new set of circumstances to deal with. Was a time skip in The Walking Dead successful in terms of how it told Rick's story and the, the story of everybody else living where they were living? You were fine with it? You approve? <laughs> yes. Emily approves this time skip. Dennis? Uh, I actually love how like they show how far they've gone from... Like between time skip with uh, having like all the seafaring and um, a cute little farm. Yeah, cute nice little farm. farm, everything. Mm-mm. Pete? I'm a huge, huge proponent of that time skip. I was like very apprehensive about it. The idea of it anyway, but uh, I think it was so well executed just because I think, I mean, the spirit of the book is unchanged. But it has put us in such an interesting place. And to think about where that book started, where it was a very, very, in a lot of ways, I, w- I don't want to say stereotypical because that's like derogatory but like classic kind of take on zombie literature and to see where the book is now it's like playing with themes that remind me more of like you know like old west in some ways and um a lot of the imagery is like it's it's able to really push the book in a completely different direction that i've never seen zombie fiction or even like post-apocalyptic fiction really not none but you know it's, it's even like more reminiscent of something like maybe like fallout or something like that where it's years and years after it and we're seeing society start to rebuild and how the apocalypse influences society but how we have these like callbacks to the world that we remember and i think it's just it's really interesting you know and and um specifically with rick which i think we're talking more about that in the next yeah. segment so i'll it, shut up Corey, how about you are you hashtag time skip or hashtag no time skip i am hashtag time skip all the way it's like my favorite part of the book right now like i think i don't think the book has ever been better than after that time skip Ah, that's very cool. Okay, cool. We're going to talk about all that whisper stuff in a minute. So one of the things the show doesn't quite do as well to me is Carl. I think Carl is much more badass in the comic. So can we first all agree that Carl is much more badass in the comic? Yeah, yeah, yes. so much better, right? I haven't. I don't even dislike him in the show. I don't dislike him in the show. I'm just like he's just like an androgynous little bitch. Versus in the the comic, <laughs> he's like murdering people. So it's for me like a big difference. I mean, in the mm-hmm. book, he's definitely like a he's a hard motherfucker. <laughs> like that's the only way I can put it. Right when he what? yeah, no, yeah. he's he is a hard motherfucker. So I actually didn't even mean to ask that question. But anyway, cool. So <laughs> it, Carl. it appears after Negan is captured, Carl and Negan develop a strange sort of bond and, and, and friendship. It It's almost as if Carl is getting something emotionally from Negan that he's not getting from Rick. If you think that that's true, what do you think that Carl is getting from Negan that he's not getting from Rick Corey? Attention. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Rick, Rick gives Carl attention, but Rick is the busiest man on the face of the earth. He is running this group of people. And yeah, he treats, I love the relationship between Rick and Carl, don't get me wrong. To me, it's the backbone of this book. But Carl's just feels left out a lot of the time, I think. And to have somebody so powerful as Negan give him the time of day, it's pretty important to him. He's got a dad with a busy job. Anybody else? I don't know if I if, if it's necessarily like, I, I think what you're saying is definitely salient. I think there's definitely something there to that. But I don't know if it's that he's getting something from Negan that he's not getting from Rick so much as it's that like, I think there is that, there is like a friendship there. But it's also very clear that like, Carl doesn't necessarily like Negan. You know, I don't necessarily think he's looking at him as like a father figure. Um, you know, I don't. No, either. I think, you know, maybe maybe Carl's using him to like pick his brain. And I, using him might be the wrong term. But, you know, I think like it makes sense to me that Carl would be interested to learn about how Negan thinks because I think he sees the value in getting that knowledge from him. Yeah, I think one of the big differences that I noticed between the relationship between Rick and Carl pre and post time skip is that before the time skip, even though Carl's younger, Rick is really treating him as an equal. He's saying, you know, take care of these people. He's still his son and there's still parts where he doesn't treat him as his son. I'm sorry, there's still parts where he doesn't treat him as an equal, but he's going to him for advice. He's putting him in charge of important things versus after the time skip, we see Rick and Carl in a much more 
traditional father-son relationship. And I think that Negan takes Carl seriously. And that is what Carl isn't getting from his father, who is now busy planning things with people who Carl sees are as above him. I can see you guys disagree, but feel free to do that. I don't know if I fully agree with that, but I think you're making an interesting point because I do think that I wouldn't say that I agree that he treated Carl like an equal before the time skip, but I do think that after they got to Alexandria, it wasn't that he treated Carl less like an adult, but I think that they even have a conversation about it where he decidedly says, like, you get to be a kid again and that's what's going to happen, you know? Oh, yeah. And like, right. I treated you like a man then because your life was at stake and I needed you to be able to take care of yourself. You don't need to do that anymore. And I don't want you to have to do that anymore. I want you to be a kid. I want you to enjoy yourself. I want you to have some semblance of a normal life. And then, you know, you can worry about being a man when you're a man. I think Carl is getting honesty out of Negan and Rick is being his dad, being a dad. So he's not going to get that sort of that honest opinion of anything and everything. Yeah. Like girls. Like, how do I feel about the girl that I like showing off her tits to everyone? Right. And that's something something that's easy to ask Negan, too, though. Oh, yeah. It's not awkward. It's not awkward because it's not your father. It's almost kind of like an open, like an open diary sort of thing. I feel like like you're like an uncle. You know, it's like he's the cool kind of, (laughs) He is the cool uncle. Uncle who got landed in jail. Yeah, and he drinks a lot of beer and, (laughs) you know, gives you shitty advice about girls. A harem of wives he may or may not rape, depending on your definition (laughs) of psychological rape. Yeah. Um, Dennis, would you have anything to add on that? Oh, um. Well, I was thinking with that, like, uh, with those few scenes, he, he just is just gathering information, just like he just wants knowledge, I guess, from yeah. him. And like we see that like later when he wants to be an apprentice as a blacksmith, he just wants all this knowledge, I guess. Yeah, that's what I saw. Carl, knowledge seeker. Yeah, seeker of knowledge. It's academic. Corey, this next question is for you because you kind of brought this up. So I wanted to pose this question, which is the world is so different after the time skip. It's much less scary in so many ways. As Rick mentions earlier, way earlier in the series, that zombies are a manageable threat. Now they've taken care of many of the human threats. And how does this change the story for you? And is there a lack of urgency and danger now for everyone? And how does it change what The Walking Dead is, Corey? I think it's just fun to see this world working. Like Pete brought up Fallout earlier. To me, the appeal of something like Fallout is that this awful fucking thing has happened, but the world goes on. So for the first time, we're out of this survival stage and into this just living stage, you know? This is the way it is now. And to see that they're at a point where they're putting on a, like a, did they call it a fair? Or It was or a, a fair, mm-hmm. yeah. Or a festival. A fair, yeah. Festival or something. Well, that was the thing they put on with all these connected communities. It's just awesome and it's so different than any other period of time we've had in this book and there's still that looming threat of zombies but you can hardly even call them a threat zombies are just there which makes i know we're going to talk about them more but that makes the whispers a lot cooler too that they're able to threaten them in this event so maybe there's a certain aspect of like positive wish fulfillment that you know we want to see things get better and things do get better yeah i think so too and i think something that a lot of people criticize the walking dead for but i doesn't bother me ever is um the book is sometimes accused of having like a slow pace, but I think it's because The Walking Dead goes through just periods of building, blowing things up, and then rebuilding. And like we're in that rebuilding phase. And we saw this at the prison too, where it's there was, hey, the prison's safe. We have walls. Now we're focusing on farming. We're focusing on having life, like living, instead of trying to survive. And I think we're seeing that here, but well executed and for years, you know, or months or no, no. It's like, what, three years after the time skip? I think it's, I think it's two, two years. years, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's just seeing that that normalcy and that uh, teamwork that they've been able, that community they've been able to build um, for two years of success. It's not that the world isn't still dangerous, but that they know how to, they know how to manage it. The people that are still alive have been alive for a long time now. So it makes sense. They know how to live in this world. Yeah. I bet if you got 
if you've got the percentages of people who binged read The Walking Dead, the amount of people who think that it goes through boring cycles would be much less because it really works when you're reading all the way through. Corey. I agree. I, this is just a thought I had with something Pete brought up, I think. It's cool. Like It's almost like if you were to look at it as a sequel, as if the first Walking Dead ended and then the sequel jumped ahead two years in time. We almost have these new things to figure out, like, oh, my God, where's Michonne? Or what's this new place we're in? Who's this? Blah, blah, blah. It's fun to have things to figure out like that, like things we may have missed out on. Um, you look like you're being interviewed like on a Bravo show because you were like looking down like all solemnly and then talking and giving your interview. It was pretty cool. I'm just So how do you guys think Rick is different after the time skip versus how Rick is, let's say, for example, from the prison? The thing that I wanted to talk about with this is what I think is also so interesting about the time skip and what I think it means for the future of the book is Rick is obviously a smart person. We've talked about how great a leader he is. He's tactical. He's all these things. But whenever his back is up against the wall, his answer is always to solve problems with his physicality. You know, it's to kill the other person. It's to, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's violence. And he can't do that anymore. And I think that is the most interesting thing about what this time skip means for the book is that he's still our central protagonist, but the way he approaches problems has to change on a fundamental level forever. Yeah, that is a good point, actually. It does have to change forever. And I think um, we like the first time we see him after the time skip, we have like a very like slow kind of build up across. It's like, I think, two or three pages. Mm -hmm. No dialogue, just showing him getting dressed. And it's not even immediately clear it's Rick. And then the mm -hmm. first thing we hear from Andrea, Andrea is like, it's it's like, oh, Rick, like, is that you? And, you know, and yep. yeah, that was very much the feeling I had. I thought that was such a really like crazy reveal to see like how how much he has aged in these two years how drastic he looked yeah, yeah. yeah he he's puts, an old man now yeah he puts on stuff so slowly and he, he just, can barely walk yeah gotten his ass kicked quite a lot of times yeah <laughs> taking one too many broken limbs and yeah. this is true off hands. losing in hands and yeah <laughs> so not too long after the time skip we're introduced to the whispers and dennis you're our resident walking dead villains expert for those of you who want to know more about the villains on the walking dead check out comicsverse.com dennis has been doing a weekly series on all the different villains and kind of what they represent and what they're a metaphor for and dennis who let's start with you who do you think or what do you think the whispers are a metaphor for if you think they are Jeez, I don't know. I haven't like researched this one on the whispers yet. But nothing uh, comes to your mind. Nothing comes to mind. I feel like they're like naturalists who just are on one with the world because now that walk, uh, the walkers are part of this world and they walk among them with them. Because there's part where Lydia said, like says that they protect us and we protect them at some point. So they're like kind of together in this one. They're one. It's a symbiosis kind of. Cool. Does anybody else have any idea on what the whispers might represent? Uh, yeah, I think Dennis is pretty spot on there. The idea of like them, they seem like they want to live like animals. You know, they seem like they are embracing the idea that human beings are animals and should live naturally. Um, Isn't that what Alpha talked about too? I believe so, yeah. Right, that, yeah, you're you're an animal and we're going to be animals. Yeah, and we're not going to um, concern ourselves with, you know, humanistic ideas of morality and that like she makes fun of Rick and their whole way of life because mm -hmm. she says that they're holding on to a dead world, you know, in an old way of life that doesn't make sense anymore. And that's a lie, I think she says. That's yeah, point. yes. Yeah. yeah, that their way of life is a lie. Yeah. I think it's also interesting to point out that well, there, there's two things that came to me, came to my mind when I was thinking about the whispers. The first was that these are people who are just resigned to the way the world is. And they're not going they gave up trying to live civilization. Now they're embracing the way the world is. And I think that they could be seen as people who are rejecting the former ways of civilization, the way life was before, because they feel that 
it wasn't working. That's how this whole thing started. We might as well embrace the way the world is now because that's what the that's what the universe is telling us will work. And something else came up for me on an anthropological level was I thought of Satanism and Satanists because if you look at Satanism and, and the reasons behind certain sects of it, they always talk about that Christianity has become so perverted by the Pope, by all the politics behind it, by the you know child molesting, by the what is it the bullshit? What's the word when you're um, hip hypocrisy by the hypocrisy? And I think that in a way, these people view and, and Satanists claim to worship Satan because Satan represents what's good to them, which is, you know, being truthful, being honest, not loving everyone because not everyone deserves to be loved. They also talk about things like. So Satanists believe that because Christianity is so full of hypocrisy, so full of things that are meant to keep people down to keep them in line that they embrace satanism as a good thing as a way for people to embrace their animal selves because you know falling in line and thinking a certain way and going against that which is what the they claim the church does is not congruent to human nature and and being human beings and i think that there is an argument that can be made to say the whisperers are sort of analogous to that in the in the way that they feel about civilization in the world of the walking dead because they completely reject as i was saying earlier this life of civilization this former way of living this way of control in which there is a leader and stuff and alpha you know she often says that she's just the strongest but everyone's out there doing their own thing i mean we're going to get into the whole thing with the rape of her daughter lydia right and how that's just a part of life and stuff so those kind of two things came to mind for me for metaphors i know <laughs> Now that I'm bringing them up, they seem kind of loose, loose metaphors, but for whatever reason, they came to my mind. And it's going to lead me into my next question about Alpha's daughter having, oh, it's not going to lead into my next question. But anyway, Alpha's daughter has a sexual relationship with Carl and she even licks his eye wound, which a few people, they mentioned that as like one of the biggest parts of the, yeah, Corey's just going apeshit over the, the licking of the eye wound. That was a, that was a moment for him. Um, so <laughs> Ooh, I, yeah, I, erotic. I, I, I thought it was telling myself, but apparently it was more telling to Corey. What, what did you think of the, the, the eye, the, the eye wound lick? Really into that eye stuff. Let me tell you. Right. I it was, how it just shows how to me, it was like, these people are kind of nuts. And it was also because Carl never had anything like that happen before. I'm like, this dude's gonna like this has got to be fucking for Carl right now. Right. Yeah. It was also kind of sweet because like he's got this eye wound and she thinks it's nice enough to lick. But isn't that kind of like, <laughs> isn't that something a whisperer would do though? Just like yeah. lick something that 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 life has killed and fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Over. Yeah, I, I think so. I, yeah, I mean, like, I think um, it's clear. Like, the whisperers have very close relationship with the dead and so obviously she's not as uncomfortable with the dead as you know the people of alexandria mm -hmm. are so it makes sense that she would look at carl and not be uncomfortable with that and maybe even in her own way i guess aroused by it maybe like it seems that way right unless Apparently. maybe she was just doing that for him you know to bolster his confidence in that possibly which i could see that but, but it did too yeah. yeah she tells him take your glasses off keep them off and he does yeah and, you know, when getting after Rick about you don't want to look at me because it makes you uncomfortable, but this is who I am. And and she's the only person who doesn't look at me and cringe. You yeah. Know, and even and though, I was kind of happy for Carl. Yeah. I mean, I'm it like, is. Yeah, go Carl. That's right. good that he can feel that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Feel accepted. Yeah. yeah. It seemed like she was like, oh, I like all of you. Yeah. yeah. Very much. Eye. Even this grotesque eye skull thing. Yeah. Well, and to her, it's not grotesque. No. Yeah. No. no to her, it was fucking <laughs> the sexiest thing ever. Apparently so. I must say that. Well, as you guys were talking, I started thinking of that moment in X-Men, the Dark Phoenix saga, when Jean pulls off Cyclops' visor, and she's like, I want to see your face, I want to see your eyes. And this kind of moment where this woman is saying to this guy, I love all of you, I love even your most fucking... 
up gross parts. And, you know, Jean Grey saying, I, you know, and it's similar to sh- in that she's saying, you know, I want to love all of you, all these parts of you, even this part that you have to keep hidden from everybody. You know, you don't have to hide that from me. Yeah. You're looking at me like mm-hmm. I'm a... F- lunatic right now no, no no i'm just saying how sweet you're sounding right now <laughs> oh that's like spot on yeah that was really well put thank you i didn't, mean, so to turn you on. I didn't mean to turn you on dennis um but i'm, I'm but i'm glad i did oh look i have two segment sixes god damn it i love segment six yeah no six 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 satanism it's hidden so alpha decides alpha is the leader of the whisperers she decides to let her daughter go and live with carl and rick after she does she finds herself overcome with emotion and starts crying what does this say about her psychology you know they they kind of lead you to believe she's a, she's a sociopath and obviously you know this says you know while she i'm sure has some sort of psychological pathology she probably isn't a sociopath due to how she feels about her daughter but what what did you guys get from that moment it just sadness. i mean yeah that's a good point <laughs> what, what did you say i said sadness oh sadness really sad moment i think he said sass i was like well <laughs> sassy cold-hearted bastard um but yeah i i think um i mean i think it seemed realistic you know i mean because unless you're a, a literal sociopath how could you not care about your child and that that was happening to her and it just showed that alpha is a mask you know it's a it's a role that she's playing and it's some one that she has deemed necessary to control again to the same thing we said about negan to control this very volatile group of people that she has found herself in charge of it made me like her less it made me like her writing more but it made me like her as a character less because yeah. i'm like wow you feel that way yet you're yet you're a fake you're a hypocrite too because you don't like there's a part of you that doesn't like this world either and she's weak yeah emily and then yeah. Corey. i was glad that kirkman did that just because it does deepen her character certainly it gives us a more well-rounded character so i'm hoping that she'll stick around for a while and make it worth our while i guess yeah i mean i think it's going to be interesting to yeah. see it's like is are we going to be juggling her and negan or is negan yeah. going to be on our side for this I one so many questions wouldn't it be crazy if her and Negan became like a hot couple and she grew her hair out and they were just like <laughs> went to the Academy Awards? <laughs> it could happen. Nalfa. No. Oh, <laughs> shit. Nice. Yeah. yeah. All out Nalfa. Hashtag Nalfa, guys. Right. Let's get that shit trending. <laughs> Corey, what do you think? To me, it was almost as if Alpha didn't believe all this bullshit she was spitting out to her army of whisperers. Like she knows that it's dumb, but she has to keep it up because it's keeping her in power like she's smart enough to send her own daughter away she knows that this life is shit but she's like a politician she's just using this as an excuse to to keep her kingdom in its own way dennis did you have anything to add about that i don't know i'm kind of hoping it's not like some sort of like play where she's having an inside girl as her daughter to like as uh for info i thought that at first maybe but i don't think so now after seeing her cry and it doesn't seem like lydia has any real connection to her like it doesn't seem like they were too close before she left so i don't know i thought that too though so guys, so we, don't, we don't have a lot of time, but I think these are some really important questions to ask. What does The Walking Dead in general, now we're not talking about issues 100 to 152, what does this comic book represent? So we talked about a little bit of the metaphor behind certain aspects of it, but as a whole, what is Robert Kirkman saying to you? Personally, I actually don't know if there is an overarching metaphor. I think it's more a character study. That's how I've always looked at The Walking Dead. It's that it's what because obviously zombie fiction is popular right we all like zombie movies mm-hmm. this is least, my first zombie thing ever i'm just, just saying that yeah. yeah i'm not like a huge zombie guy either actually but i mean like americans in general oh yeah we're into romero zombie you know it's we have a culture of of horror movies and zombies are a part of that and i think what makes the walking dead special is that it's a character study in like 
well, okay, but what would it be like if you really lived in this world? Like, what would it be like the reality of your society collapses and almost everyone you know dies and you're constantly faced with the reality of losing loved ones and then having them reanimate and try to kill you? And like, what does that psychologically do to you? You know, and um, how how much can we put Rick Grimes and company through the ringer? And like that to me is what the book is all about, more so than uh, making an overarching statement about society per se. But I guess you could maybe make the argument that it is about like community and family, and that like you know family and friends, I guess, and that that is really what's important more so than what we have now. Uh, Corey, you had your hand up. I think Pete really nailed it there because this I'm a massive zombie fan and the thing that sets The Walking Dead above well above anything else you'll find in this culture except maybe like World War Z is that it's all about the characters it is basically just a drama set within the zombie apocalypse it doesn't what happens in this comic isn't based around the latest zombie attack it's what's going on between these characters Emotional. and there's an argument to be made along the metaphor line that any apocalyptic piece of pop culture reflects something in these current times or what we currently fear i don't know what we would fear that is compared to zombies maybe the past coming back to haunt us or something like that because it's literally the dead rising mm, other than that point. i think like like i said that's why the walking dead works so well it's because it may have those it may not but it has brilliant character work and a sense of community like pete said I'm going off what Pete was saying. I think the first part of Walking Dead was about survival of what, who are you when there isn't a society kind of yeah. watching over you and these are our rules. There are no rules anymore. And what do you do when you have to survive instead yeah. of when you're not safe? Yeah, it is all very, it's very much survival. And now the second part is, okay, we've rebuilt society. So now this is, it. we're community, we're family and watch out for each other. And how do we live with the things we did when oh, we were yeah. wild? Yep. How do you reconcile that with yourself and with the people that you're living with, knowing what they did, too? Yeah, that's a great point. Genius. Oh, um, well. <laughs> Dennis. You look like a lost child. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like trying to listen and read. I'm like, oh. present. you're like present. Um, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, what I was going to say is like, uh, well, one part of why I love writing about the villains, it seems like. Like how people respond to like tragedy or something bad happening, like walkers in our society, well, not walkers in our society, but bad things happening, and the kind of extremes that that change them into like ter- like just change their personalities and who they are. Because you see, like those villains aren't like prior to the walkers, they aren't this crazy or evil. And I feel like those like tra- stuff happening to people uh, in our society and can turn people bad. Shit happens and it makes people bad. (laughs) Basically. Yeah. I think to that point too, like the book shows you, I mean, especially after the very early issues is that the real threat is other people, not walkers. Because like we said earlier, walkers are a manageable threat. You can plan around them if you're smart. To be fair, Rick said it before me, but yes. (laughs) Yeah, sure. You were quoting quoting Rick. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, I, I think that that definitely is, uh, I guess, maybe one of the major themes, too, is that, like, the real boogeyman is us. <laughs> That's a good point, too, yeah. Um, I would say, you know, I'm going off on what you said at first is kind of how I felt. But when I thought about The Walking Dead, and I thought about this post-apocalyptic world, and I compare Walking Dead a lot to Why the Last Man, because for me, those are the two big post-apocalyptic stories that resonated with me. And when I looked at Walking Dead, I kind of was like, you know what, this is post-apocalypse but this is the world now i i think i mean i don't know of course we can't ever surmise what kirkman is trying to say but 
what I'm getting from it is that this is a metaphor for how the world already is. The world is full of shit. The world is full of dead things that are no longer what they were and no longer alive that can attack you if you don't manage them. The world is full of Negans and Alphas and Governors and Michonnes and Ricks and Carls. And that it's literally a mirror for the way life already is, just an extremely exaggerated mirror that can show us who we are already in, in, in this way through zombies is kind of what I got from it. Yeah, I think, I mean, Emily said that too. I think it's like, who are you without security? Right. right. It's like, who are you underneath really? You know, when you don't have the luxury of security or when you don't have the obligation of morality because mm-hmm. there isn't a police officer to come and arrest you when you kill someone. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I think it's also a really, like you were saying before, it's a really great way to explore Rick and, and Carl. I mean, the story is clearly about Rick and Carl. You know, I think when it's over and done with, we'll know, is this really Carl or Rick's story? Is it like a, a love story between father and son? We won't know that till the end, but I think either way, we get to experience this post-apocalyptic world with them, and I think that that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, Emily, you picked this amazing piece of art from, I believe it was issue two. What page was it? Oh, what page? Uh, Issue 176. Wait, hold on. All right. So I asked everybody to pick a page or a panel, in which case everybody picked like seven issues that they wanted us to to go through. But we brought it down. Uh, Corey did a good job. Thank you, Corey. I did a good job, too. I picked none. Just kidding. No, there were so many good ones I couldn't choose, which was the real honest truth. So we're going to go over Emily's first. Emily's is from issue 146. And this is at the moment when the alpha has just slaughtered some of our people. Ten, I think. Right? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And spiked their heads at the border. And Rick and company have come back to this. Is this Hilltop or are we at Alexandria? We're at Alexandria now. Back at Alexandria. Yeah, because the church. Yes, the church. And has just revealed what happened. And silently the panels go by as everyone mourns the death of all of their loved ones that was killed. And so this this page here, they're all standing in front of their church with their heads bowed. And And there's um, like a candlelit vigil. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yep. The, the sky looks like harrowing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. What made you choose this, Emily? I just loved the whole beginning of 146 that everything was, it was obviously very stark and somber, but the fact that there were no words throughout all of it, just that first beginning part of the whole issue. You love the visual storytelling. Aspect. Yes. It was perfect because there are no words for that. There's nothing to say. For, yeah. for grief. For grief. Yeah. This is how yeah. people mourn. Yep. Quietly. Quietly. It's a nice pick. So what do you guys see when you see this panel? Corey, you were saying about the sky. That sky sticks out to me because we don't really see that kind of thing in this book a lot. And it adds so much to this page because it's such a dark and gloomy thing. Mm-hmm. And the fact, and like I said, I, I can't think of another situation where we've seen nature in this book, but it really complements what the, the emotion of what's happening on the page. Yeah, yeah. I'd say for me, I think it's interesting how realistic the people are drawn from behind versus other parts in the history of The Walking Dead. And I also am paying attention to how carefully rendered the church is. Um, you know, it's very, very realistic. And then, like you said, like you pointed out, Corey, the sky, it, it's, you know, these sort of like long brush strokes. It's not realistic. And I think it carries along the themes of grief from the other page as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Specifically the sky. I like that you pointed that out, uh, Corey, because I really hadn't thought about that too much honestly and it almost reminds me of like starry night 
which is such yes. a, like a beautiful like I, that's like my favorite painting actually I think that it has like that message of like God watching over the city is like you can see it has that like sense of safety and I feel like it's almost like to me looking at it now with that in mind it's like a, a distortion of that where it's like we have this sense of safety here but it's been compromised you know we've lost mm -hmm. our own right. um, someone came into our walls and took them and killed them you know yeah but and it's almost like the sky is sad too. Yeah. The sky is emotional. But what really stuck out to me was, um, and this is something that I always really love about The Walking Dead, is that it's it's actually the only book that I read religiously that's in black and white. And I think that it's like, I've heard people complain that it's not in color and I don't think it would work if it was in color. I don't want it in color. I don't want it in color at all. And it's because of scenes like this, mm -hmm. because of like how effective the use of black is to like... You know, and again, like because the book is so defined by that use of black, when we have the absence of it for moments of hope or like to get like a full character image or something like that, there's just such a great contrast. And I think like pieces like this really sell that for me just because the use of shadow and everything is just it really does give it that just dark, somber funeral mm -hmm. vibe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It's interesting because I, I can't say that I noticed it as obviously, you know, as much as we're noticing it now, but there's things I see in it now that I never would have saw at first. It's interesting how like, you know, the horizon and, and the trees in the distance are, are just completely black. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like they're like looming. Right. You know, and like in the churches too. You know, it's not that it's completely black, but it's it's dark it's and shadows. shadowed. Yeah. yeah. And Very there's shadowed. like a you can see that there's clearly like a shadow cast over the scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. I think the next one is Corey's pick. It's the one with with Carl bandaged and, and Rick and Carl having a conversation from issue 102. Is that correct, Corey? Uh, yeah, this is issue 102, page seven. Cool. So what made you pick this? Because I love, like I said earlier, I think Rick and Carl are the backbone of this story. And at the end of the day, it is their story. And this kind of sums up their relationship here. Uh, the words do. But as far as the art goes, this page commits a crime that Walking Dead so often commits. If you would call it a crime, but it uses the same panel three times. Yeah. The, the first panel is repeated mm -hmm. in the last two panels. One, two, three. Mm -hmm. yep. Gotta say, I didn't notice that until just now. Mm -hmm. It happens a lot with Walking Dead. Yeah, they're good at that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you don't notice it. Like, it's not a terrible thing. And, you know, maybe it's a deliberate choice because, I mean, the last two are back to back and the last one's just them standing there. So it's just like them kind of standing there and Yep, drinking my water, Dad. Yep. Standing the same way, too. But yeah. with Father, like son. Totally. And I think it's interesting, too. Okay, so if you... Which you, I don't think, of course, we should do this, but if you ignore the other panels on the page and you sort of just look at the first one and then the last two, it sort of elongates this moment. I'm, you know, it's reminding me of Fun Home a little bit where these moments were sort of elongated that were emotional for the people, the characters, but maybe, you know, could have been expressed visually to us differently, but are purposefully expressed to us in this way that mm -hmm. makes the moment seem longer i think funny I, funny enough too like if you do put just those three together at the top it works i agree like I think that could be the whole scene so I, maybe it maybe it was i mean i think it would be a little naive of us to say that it wasn't at least partly done this way so that he didn't have right. to redraw the same scene but i do think that you're probably right that it wasn't done that way entirely that that mm. you know that that it does work on an artistic level to oh, have the reuse of that moment i agree uh yeah. dennis and uh emily did you want to add anything else no Cool. Let's turn to Dennis's page. What issue is this from, Dennis? Oh, this is from uh, issue 100 when we meet Negan. Right. So what? do you know what page this is from? Uh, I think it's 26. Page so 26, sad. so it's the end. So we're, we're kind of ending in the beginning here, which is when um, it's right after Negan uses Lucille, the bat with the barbed wire all over Glenn. And tell us why you picked this, Dennis. Well, first of all, I, mean, I picked it because I, I absolutely miss Glenn. And uh, <laughs> I love the um, the panels at the bottom where uh, it's a sil silhouette of Negan bashing in Glenn's head while he's on the ground. I think it's incredible to that 
they decided not to show that. And then the following page is a is a full spread of of Glenn's like complete just head destroyed. Right, I remember that. And yelling Maggie. Mm-hmm. Which is that's the that was the first. Part of it. Oh, that's bef- yeah, that's okay. the first. Time. No, that's yeah. the page before this mm-hmm. one. Yeah, this okay. one he's like just just Gone. ground into the ground. The mm-hmm. You can see his eye. Right, right, right. Yeah, you just see his eye and like just. <laughs> and sorry. That, and that was the picture Grotesque. that I text to everyone. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so what what do you guys see when you see the the bottom sort of the panels, the silhouette? My eye is actually really drawn to the first panel, which is just them reacting to it. Mm. Those and are Rick the, is the only one that can look at it there. Yeah. And that that look of just shock and horror, yeah, and absolute horror. And I think I know we're not to harp on images that aren't on the page, but there's another image that this reminds me of. I think it's the moment directly after this, and you see him from a side view, and it's the start of the next issue actually. And he just says he like under his breath, he just says, "Oh my God, Glenn!" And like that's mm-hmm. what I get in this moment. And it's just him, and then Carl's immediately crying, you know, and that like I don't know, and like of course like Michonne is there, just like stone faced, but like but. To so your point, pissed. can't look at it. You know, is not willing to look at it. Corey, did you have anything to add on this? I love Maggie holding Sophia. Like it makes me like I like it almost makes me want to tear up. It's so sad. It is sad, yeah. And Heath too, man, because I think we undersell that because yeah. Heath is like a younger character, but Heath and Glenn had a really tight relationship too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'd say for me, I, I think I was drawn mostly to the, the silhouette panels because Walking Dead does not shy away from gore. Brutality. And, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that why this wasn't shown. And I'm kind of, there's something oddly base to the human experience when I see it like this. I mean, it's like he almost looks like a caveman or so. I could might as well be a caveman doing it. Yeah. You don't yeah. know. Yeah. And I think there's, I, I just, obviously you get the sense of domination. I think that's, that's a really good point. Definitely. I think to your point, too, the fact that the, sh- the book doesn't shy away from gore is when they do have moments where they show restraint like this. I actually right. think a lot of times they have more impact. I very much agree with that. Corey? These, I love these silhouettes, too, and they seem very cinematic to me, which is one thing The Walking Dead does a lot. Like They look like something that is storyboarded, and like a, like I could see these shots visually, like if, if and when it does happen in the show. And the show does this a lot. That's how we're going to see it. And I think it, I mean, the fact that I can see it so perfectly in my mind, too, I really enjoy. Awesome. All right, cool. So we're going to get to our conclusion now. And this is often ends up being the comics for a speed round because we're usually out of time trying to rush this information out. But really quick, guys, and not so many words. Overall, between issues 100 and 152, did you en- enjoy the series? And do you like where the series is going, Corey? I absolutely loved it. I'm not totally sold on The Whispers and Alpha as a worthy villain, but there's a lot of time left. And I can't wait to see what happens with Negan. Cool. Uh, Pete. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with Corey for the most part. I do think this is the best arc that the book's had since its original 50 issues. So kudos for that, Kirkman and, and company. I'm not exactly sold on the whispers yet either, but I'm interested. So I'm willing to see how it plays out. I trust Kirkman. I feel exactly the same way. Dennis? Yeah, between these, these issues, uh, I mean, it's great because I love Negan. It's a great character to bring into his world and keep him. You love him. I do. Emily, awesome. we know how what you how you feel I about Negan. Negan. <laughs> You're like going to be like in a polyamorous relationship with him soon. He has to get rid of all of the other wives, though. No, of course. You would be like a female. You would be like a female Negan, Emily. Just, just make all the other wives work, right? Yeah. yeah, they go back to the workhouse. Yeah, I'm super excited to see what happens. I can't wait. I say, as a woman, like, what did you think of of seeing her be the sort of big bad, as they say in Buffy world at the end of Alpha? Yeah, of Alpha being the big bad in the Walking Dead world. I think it's gonna be fun. I hope it'll be fun. Were you like, yay, an evil woman? Kind of, yeah. Cool. I imagine. And she's bald. 
That's sort of fun too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Makes her creepy. Yeah, you don't need that hair. Well, you yeah. mentioned this earlier. I really the hope way. they get Charlie Theron to play her in the show. Right. Oh, that would yes. yes. oh. fucking yeah. amazing. Yes. Yeah, and you know what? She yes, doesn't sir. even. She just looks like she just stepped out of a salon. Salon Selectives. One of our sponsors. Just kidding. They're not. <laughs> um, this episode was brought to you by Salon Selectives <laughs> because those are the people who are going to be listening to this. When should The Walking Dead end, or should it never end, Emily? Well, it has to end. Everything yeah. has to end. It's life. It, it just has to end. Thank it you, will end. Nihilist. Uh, <laughs> Dennis. I would like it to never end. That'd be awesome. Cool. If I'm like 100, I'm reading it. Awesome. Pete. I want the book to end when Robert Kirkman wants to stop writing it. Awesome. Great answer. Corey. If you asked me at around issue 80, I would tell you it needed to end soon. But now I'm just keep going. This is awesome. All right, cool. Yeah, I could, I'm i I'm feeling like an ending in the next like 30 issues I could see something. I just kind of want to either see them be happy or be like, yeah, this is how life is going to be. We're just going to build up civilization from here. It'll be awesome. But I do love it, and I do think Robert Kirkman knows how to do a great third act, and I'm going to love when that comes. Or, you know, he might figure out how to keep it on forever, and I'll still love it. I just I think it's a, so well written. The art's great. I'm a big fan. I'd love another 150. I could, yeah. Hey, if it's good, it's good. It's a lot more um, seasons. If there's one thing you guys can say to the fans of the show who aren't reading the comic, what would you say to them, Corey? You're an idiot. Pete. The book won't spoil the show for you. The book is at times, I mean, and often much better than the show. Go read it. You're missing out. Awesome. Dennis. Yeah, read it. Carl's a lot better in the comics. <laughs> Andrea's not an <laughs> asshole. Yeah. Yeah, Andrew's Andrew's a lot better too. Yeah. For those of you just reading it for Carl, um, yeah, I know the characters are great. <laughs> You're right, Emily. What about you? I would actually like to say my middle-aged mother read the these comics because of the show. So get over your aversion to comics, whatever that might be. Grow up. It's great. Yeah, it's like, it, it. and it's like there's a whole new medium waiting to be explored by you. Go go to that medium and. Open it up like a Pegasus opens its wings. Um, that was beautiful. <laughs> thank you. So am I. So, oh, yeah. Guys, that's the fucking end. We made it. Okay. Yeah. So, next question. That's the end of the yeah. podcast. Next question. <laughs> How beautiful is Justin? Oh, there's only one answer 10 out of 10. Pegasus like. Pegasus. I know, right? <laughs> Pegasus like beauty. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I am such a Pegasus. Cool. Uh, that does it for another episode of the Comics First podcast. Make sure to visit comicsfirst.com to show us some love. Let us know what you thought about the episode. You can also find our podcast on iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud. We're all over social media, and I'm so sick of giving you guys those links. I'm sure if you want to find them, you'll go there anyway. Anyway, Google us, nerd. Yeah, it's called Google, and it's called Comics First. You'll find us everywhere. Anyway, thank you so much, panel, for joining me. I hope you guys had as much of a good time as I did. Um, awesome. Down to the wire. Have a good time, everybody. Yay. Bye.